Man, offer yourself grace, be gentle with yourself, have some self-compassion and stand boldly in your truth. Because at the end of the day, the world is already out here beating us up. And when I say the world, I mean everything in it, not just people. From the, in, the climate changes and everything, everybody's already beating you up. Why do you gotta be against you? Why you gotta beat you up? Love yourself. Self-love is probably the hardest love we ever have to, I've, from what I'm learning, self-love is one of the hardest things to accomplish. And so I think once you love yourself, you're gonna be able to definitely boldly walk in your truth and own your shit. The top three responses that I get when I ask, why do you wanna leave corporate America? Are that you want financial freedom, you wanna own your own time, and you wanna build a legacy for this generation and generations to come. Now, this is not a solo job. In order to transition from your nine to five into entrepreneurship, it's gonna take community and it's gonna take resources. And I've created the community of pioneers who are going to wrap around you and help you make that transition successfully. So if you're interested in leaving your job, go ahead and click that information below. Let's get into the community and let's transition from your nine to five into entrepreneurship successfully. Now let's get back to the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Work and Play Podcast. I'm your host, Arielle, and I have the wonderful Monique Overstreet here to join me, CEO of Mo Knowledge. How are you, sis? I'm good. Like, I'm really good. I'm just blessed to be here. Today's a beautiful day. I'm ready. Yes. Thank you for joining me. No problem. Thank you for asking me. I feel honored. Yes. Well, your story is super interesting and you already like we already been connecting off camera, so I already, <laughs> like you guys are gonna get a taste of what I've already um, got to witness and experience. So with that being said, um, would you like to tell us what it is that you do and introduce yourself? Sure. So I am full-time a mental health therapist. I uh, focus on relational trauma, I'm trauma-informed. Um, I work with all ages, well not all ages, 16 and up, men or women, um, to work through any relational trauma that they've been through, whether it's divorce, sexual assault, parental conflicts, any kind of friendships that you came out of that you didn't, you know, you kind of lose yourself sometimes. And so I focus with on that. Yes. Thank you for sharing that, that expertise. So when it comes to mental health professionals, there's an array of like ways that we can help clients through their journey. But what made you choose the trauma-informed lens? Honestly, I started working for an organization that worked with women that were coming out of sex trafficking and exploitation. And they started um, working with their staff on a trauma-informed, seeing things from a trauma-informed lens. So when we work with the young ladies in the program, we would be able to work with them knowing that they're coming from a background of trauma and be more, what's the word I'm looking for, possibly gentle with them and more aware that when we're talking to them that we're dealing with someone who is probably functioning out of a trauma brain. Yes, that's literally, I love the work of Trauma Informed because sometimes we label people like, oh, she's mad, she's angry, she's this, that, and other. And when you see people without that lens of trauma being trauma-informed, I can imagine people just, everybody just needs to be trauma-informed. Listen, yeah. if people were trauma-informed, I feel there would be so much more grace given. There would be so much more grace given to people and how they function. There would be much more understanding and a little bit more of less judgment and more assistance. Because it's like, we've had girls come in that didn't know how to clean. You know, they're almost grown. Most of them, 
are were over the age of 18 and you don't know how to use cleaning products properly. Mm -hmm. Somebody could come in and say, how you don't know how to clean? No, that's not her background. That's the way she was raised. Then that's just how it is. We have yes. to be more aware that not everybody comes from the same background. I, um, talk about changing subjects, not really changing subjects, but I like to focus on get this saying out there called reciprocal acceptance. Mm. I love it. When you think about it, it's just like do unto others as you want done unto you, yes. but accept others as you would like to be accepted. Yes because we judge so harshly and we treat people differently if they're not acting the way we ex expect them to act. And that's not okay because you want to be accepted depend if you make a mistake or anything. So mm -hmm. reciprocal acceptance is what I like to focus on. I love that. So um, the latest book that I read was The Four Agreements. And one of the things mm. that it says, do not assume. Like that's one of the, the agreements. And I realized even myself, as empathetic as I can be, as trauma-informed as I can be, I can assume that other people see my perspective so even as we talk about it I'm like you know even us as therapists can look at people in the world and realize everybody doesn't come from the same perspective so that reciprocal acceptance always like having this awareness yep. that we are people flawed individuals and that other people also have whatever their lens is yes that's powerful and accepting people like people are literally killing themselves because they don't feel accepted and it's probably the simplest thing that's different about them and it's so unfortunate you know that's a consciousness thing because as people don't feel accepted we're not accepting ourselves that is so you have, we, this interview is off to a great start so you have I'm, I'm assuming oh you know what I'm not assuming nothing have don't you, assume not at all right have you always been this connected this deep or connected into like helping and healing people I've always been what everyone else would say too much because I would look deeper. That's how I came up with more knowledge because when I found that when I talk, people actually listen. I was like, it's kind of scary. <laughs> it's like sometimes you're just running your mouth <laughs> and people are really intrigued and you're like, oh, I did say something pretty knowledgeable there. <laughs> and so I came up with more knowledge because so many people definitely like, like what I had to say, or they would, it would give them a new perspective to think on things and see things. So that's how Monology even came about is my name is Monique. And I was like, Mo, cause people call me Mo. And I was like, Monology. Okay. So you've been tapped in for a, quite a long time. Mm -hmm. So were you, a, so I guess, and you said you were, well, you're what people call like too, too much. much. So tell me a little bit about like your upbringing. Were you the young person who's always tapped into your, your friends and family's problems? So the thing is I'm an only child. Oh, I was raised an only child. I'm not an only child. I was raised as an only child. I was my mom's only born child. And so um, when you're an only child, you're tapped in because you ain't got nothing else to do unless you're reading a book or you in your room playing with your dogs, having a tea party and <laughs> or whatever you're doing. You, you're, I'm usually with my mom. She usually got me somewhere and I'm sitting there like this. Oh, but then it's like, get out of grown folks' mouths. So you don't pay attention to what they were saying. And I started paying attention to how they were functioning and just noticing when people would get upset and not say what they were really feeling or how they would get upset and they would act out in different ways, but they didn't even know that they're upset about something that was said. So I think that is where I initially became tapped in or tuned in. Like my cousins, they would do all kinds of crazy things. And I'd be like, y'all, we really shouldn't do this because we're trying to do, I always had the bigger picture in mind. And they would say, you a goody two-shoe. You did it. When I got, when I went to college and they came, then came back, they were like, you 
you cuss. <laughs> like, who is she? Right. I was like, yes, I do. What are y'all talking about? Like, I'm so a I'm a whole person. <laughs> and like, I have a um, part of my knowledge is also saying it takes a village to be human. That's a part of that acceptance piece. And it's like, yes, I cuss. I'm a human. Like, I'm, I'm a person. And so um, me just being tuned in that way, human behavior has always intrigued me. Talk, talk a little bit more about it takes a village to be human. How did you develop that philosophy? Hoo-wee. Yes, this is about to be good. A <laughs> couple years ago, I went through probably one of the hardest journeys I've ever had to go through in life. I was uh, coming out of a relationship that I had experienced one incident of dating violence. And then I also lost, got laid off from a job. And then I also was leaving my apartment and had to find another home and ended up almost homeless. Thank God to my friend who let me stay with her. But I could have been on the streets because I didn't have anywhere to go. So it was like during that time of so much, that was trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma, back to back to back, all in one sitting. And I mean, I literally found myself in a dark room surrounded with all my boxes that I was supposed to be moving with, drinking a bottle of wine a day and not knowing where the next anything was coming from. I slowly started building myself back up. And then comes 2017, where I'm in this crazy internship. My father passes away. My car breaks down as I'm trying to go and take care of him and see him during the time that he's sick. And during those years, God has... I'm Christian, by the way. God just started to form people around me. I would not have made it through that time. It was like a two year span, three year span without the village of people that were around me. And it was, I learned then because I was so independent before. I was the one taking care of people. No one had to take care of me. And so in that moment, I had to become humble. I had to learn grace. I had to learn self-compassion. I had to become almost in my mind, infantile and allow people to take care of me. But the village stepped up. They stepped up and showed out. And they, that's why I was like, it takes a village to be human man because if I didn't have those people that my village I don't know what I would do it's like from all angles you were experiencing trauma and the people who filled your village helped you with different resources I can only imagine somebody helping you get fed someone helping you get shelter someone helping you emotionally financially I mean one part of my village I was with a church in a small group for church they got money up to help me get a bus ticket to go see my daddy I'm getting emotional to think about it because I'm like, I wouldn't have made it without these people. So it takes a village, man, to be out here. It's not, this world is not easy. And it's not even the world, it's just the people and the things that are within this world that it takes to maintain and live. And you have to make sure that you're living and you're not just alive. Because I was just alive at that time, day to day, minute to minute. And I came up, I started telling myself, you just got to take it second by second. You know, they'd be like, Take it day by day or step by step. Nah, I had to take it second by second. When it comes to um, what you do as a professional, much of being a helping professional Thank is you. like being able to understand people's situation. Yeah. And so what, one of the things that I'm like hearing is the passion of you understanding firsthand what Man. it takes in order to be not only survive but to thrive. Because I hear the pulse of the village was keeping you alive. It was keeping you on your feet. But then you got to a place where 
you were able to thrive. So like, what did that, that transition of like surviving to like maybe starting to feel a little bit of abundance and feeling a mindset shift feel like for you? So I would say when I started getting me back, I went to started going to therapy. I found a therapist and um, I started doing things that I like because I started recreating myself because I was like, you know, I, I tried to throw myself back out there in the dating world, too, because I took two, a couple years off and became celibate and just chilled because it was like, uh, -uh. <laughs> I don't need nothing up in here right now, right. like in my face, in my aura and nothing. So um, I went ahead and uh, I started going on dating sites and the question would come up is like, what do you like to do? And I'm like, I don't know, because I was in school most of the time. So I didn't really go anywhere, or do anything. I was focused at that time. Excuse me. And when you're dealing out a trauma brain, you are in a fog and you don't really you just going with the flow of everything. You don't even know what the flow is. You're just going. So when I started realizing that I didn't have an answer to that question, I was like, oh, no, we got to figure this out because I know I like to have fun. So I need to figure that out. What is it? And just started redoing me, like going to concerts because I like live music, going to any kind of artsy things and networking with people and just talking. That was something that I like to do. And so getting involved with church, I was really involved with church at the time and just really digging my heels in and building my relationship with God. So that's when I started feeling that abundance again is because I felt like I was really identifying with something that made me feel like I mattered as well mm -hmm. and that I had a reason to be. What I love is how you said building, recreating me. Mm -hmm. It's like. I, the way I envision it is like at ground zero, you had everything you needed from like a village perspective. And I think that inkling was like, oh, it takes a village to raise a child or raise a, a human mm -hmm. um, started to come to be. And then I can almost envision like Legos of like additional like people and groups of people and even your, your relationship with God that just enhanced the community that you had a new foundation of. Yep, it definitely. My mom was my number one stick beside me. <laughs> I'm a stick beside her because <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> that was my mom when she had to be like that. And my best friends, like all my close friends, they like, I mean, just so many people came in with their building blocks, you know? The grace that they showed me, the, the understanding that was given, the love, all of it was needed in those moments. And because I was going through the time of like, I'm still in a phase of learning to love myself because you don't come out of that easily. And trying to recreate yourself is also building things that you love about yourself and identifying what those are. So yeah, those building blocks were there. I can see it, I can see it. <laughs> it. So you mentioned you're in, you were in school during this time. So what did you go to school to study? I went to school for, so my schooling journey was crazy. Like <laughs> undergrad, we're not even, I don't even think that's, I don't even want to talk about undergrad. Undergrad has its purpose because you made it. So undergrad, I went to school in Minnesota. Um, I did not want to go to school in Minnesota. I wanted to actually come down here. I had a full ride to the University of Minnesota. They had this initiative up there at the time. I think it was called Multi Excellence Program, MEP. And you had to maintain a certain GPA and, and certain behaviors and all that and go to these meetings in order to get the, you would get a full ride to any school in Minnesota. So I did that. Lo and behold, I get to undergrad and wild out. <laughs> okay. I was free. <laughs> 
had to leave the U of M and transfer to a different college, uh, Metropolitan State University, and I got my degree in human services there and finished it out. Now, how did you turn up in Minnesota? I could not stand the we- the winters. You got you don't ever get used to. It. I was about to lie. So <laughs> you don't ever get used to that with them winters. But I mean, when you live there, you adjust to your environment. So we out there with our coats and our heels, and up. we up at we go in the club. You know, you get a couple of whatevers, and you good. Yeah. By the time you out there having fun, and uh, you going to fraternity and sorority parties, and yeah. you don't feel you just out here. You warmed up. Yeah. You ain't think about nothing. You yeah. just having fun with your friends and yeah. we threw the parties and <laughs> I got you. I can understand. so we went to Atlanta Metro and then um got your human services well Ma- Metropolitan that's in Minnesota too oh. I didn't come down here until after I got my degree I'm glad you okay make that clarification because my mind went straight to Atlanta Metropolitan Mm-mm. it was okay. Metropolitan State University mm-hmm. and I got my four year up there and okay. then I came here because I had a friend that was living here and he wasn't really liking what his situation and he was like I was like well I'll move I'll come down there with you and um because I mean I didn't have I didn't have no man I had no kids I just got a degree I didn't know what I wanted to do with life sure I'll move so <laughs> moved down here to Atlanta and decided okay so what are we gonna do with our life down here and right before I left Minnesota I was working for this um program volunteers of america they had a ebd program which is emotional behavior disorders this is like anyone who's dealing with a personality disorder um all kinds of things but i was working with them and i was on their clinical team as just a staff direct care staff i just had to report anything that i've been noticing with the resident and i noticed that once we had the clinical team meeting there was a therapist or a psychologist that would come in and talk to us about what's going on in their therapy sessions and their family therapy sessions and I was like I like this like you're helping us understand the big picture I like that so that helps me to understand this child a little more of like what they're going through and so when they would come to our meetings and then take what we say back to the parents and bring it into their family sessions to help the families understand their child too I was like man I like this so I was like I'm gonna go to school be a therapist wonderful so in that moment you got to see one the impact on the child but then you also got to see the impact on the family and how that ultimately changes dare I say like generational behavior yes behavior yes when I tell people when I be like like share comment when you share me or sharing any other therapist you are sharing generational like this you never know who gonna pick up on it who I might resonate with who you might resonate with and they're like oh I need to make a session with her and it becomes a life changer for a whole generation oh my goodness so it's like I love this position of like helping people to understand themselves and then also helping others to understand them if I can yeah so you I know I'm, I'm making all these assumptions up. now you're fine but you of course bring your personal experience and your passion for living and your passion for life through experience to your practice but so you decided at that point I want to be a therapist what was your favorite modality to like learn on it or what modality informs your practice today really my favorite was learning about trauma when you say modality give me a little bit more yeah so I'm thinking like so when you say your philosophy that it takes a village to raise as a human, I think person and environment because you have to shape the environment in order for us to, or part of your environment shapes who you are. 
but then there's, you know, strengths-based, in which we're talking about mm. what can you do as an individual to get out of your, your ish, right? Mm. And so thinking about how we approach trauma and your philosophy being so environmental, I just, I'm assuming, but I actually a question without the assumption. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just wondering, like, when you meet a client, um, well, actually, when you decided I want to be a therapist, what skill sets did you hone in on that help you do what you do from like a, a education or like a vocation perspective? Because I already know your lived experience informs what you do. Okay. So you said strength-based. That program that I originally talked about that I worked at for Traffic Women, we did a lot of strength-based training with them. And it I definitely functioned from that model because, man, listen, it took me a while to get into strength-based because, you know, you raised where it's like, what you robbing somebody for? Like, you know, you, you're going to ask questions about the bad behavior. Well, they taught us, like, if a kid is sneaking out at night to go get something or get a need met, they're being resourceful. That's strong. And I was like, but she's sneaking out. She's being resourceful. And when you're in the streets and you're coming from trauma and you're learning how to get your needs met, you be resourceful. So I had to understand it from that. So when I talk to my clients, I definitely focus on them also because they, because of society, they have a lot of assumptions and also self-hate, self-doubt, all that type of conversation, like negative a negative um, narrative in their head about their own behaviors. And I try to help them flip it. Flip while you're doing this. Why or what, what got you here? So I definitely work with cognitive behavior therapy, trauma-focused co cognitive CBT yeah. for short. I'm not really solution-focused. I am solution-focused, but I'm not. Solution-focused is like a quick turnaround. And that's not me. I also like to go back into your childhood and look at, let's look at that inner child. Like what's going on there? Because there's a, and you would, you would be, amazed. I, I recently realized that I also have clients separate themselves from that inner child and talk about it as a third person mm -hmm. so that you can see and have grace on that child for what they were going through. Mm -hmm. What did you need in that moment as a child that you're needing now as an adult? One of the things that, um, so I'm so glad you framed it that way because it's okay to not be, well, not that you're saying it wasn't, but to not be solution focused because when I'm in my coaching sessions, I often say I'm not here to do the why because I, I understand that they are wise in, in, in the workplace and we downplay our strengths and we, or we say that someone else did a project where we probably did 90% of it and they mm -hmm. did 10% and there are behaviors that are you know come from my childhood that I don't necessarily deal with. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like, okay, so how do we get you to your solution in the quickest route possible? However, I highly suggest them working with someone like you yes. to start to unravel that, those whys. So that gets me to like when you get a client um, who is like, you know, trying to level up in their career, for example, mm -hmm. and they have all of these like wound up childhood behaviors. You said that you have them talk to their child and different like differentiate or delineate that child from who they are today. What's some of the first things that you do to get clients to open up to you and to trust you in that way? I mean, I just I give them the floor and and establish that safety like you safe here this your space this ain't about me it's about you and i want you to get what you can out of here but i definitely want you to understand that i am your supporter i'm not against you i'm here to work with you through this and i'm like be gentle with yourself and i also allow them to know some of my story like so they know that i'm not perfect i'm not i'm not the expert i might be an expert in my realm but i'm not the expert nobody's an expert on life yeah. 
So I'm just here to try and help you walk through this journey in the best way possible so that you can meet your highest potential. So I think by me establishing that, listen, I'm not perfect. I think that helps because I think when people go to therapy, they're like, oh, a therapist, what kind of mind tricks are you about to do? And it's like, uh, no, (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could do some mind tricks, but no. Unfortunately, we can't make you do what you do, right? Because you're going to come back to me next week and tell me you didn't do my homework. I feel that. Okay, I saw a girl. I love it. I feel like I could be on your couch and unravel some things for myself. So, in your back to your journey, your career journey, you decide, okay, I want to be a therapist. What was one of the what was the next step they took to start to develop your person, your um, specialization in your field? So I guess when I decided I'm going to go to school, I need to find a school that offered a degree in counseling and learning the background to counseling and what I needed to do to become a therapist. I started really just kind of navigating this field, you know. People out there don't know, but we know in this world, social worker and therapist, LPCs and LCSWs, it's a whole thing. And I, <laughs> and what do you mean when you say a whole thing? I'm gonna let the people know. <laughs> so it's almost, I don't wanna say it's a battle, but it's almost like we do the same things yet. It's like LCSW would be like, we do it better than you. And then LPC is like, no, we can do it better than you. And it's like, we do the same thing. We do the, we the same thing. thing. it's a whole it's almost like a sorority like not a real battle but like you know i'm better you know when in reality we're a team and so with when i was told people i want to be an lpc they were like why don't you want to be an lcsw you can get more jobs and i was like because i want to focus here that's i don't want to work in these other spaces this is where i want to do right so, and I wanted to be a motivational speaker as well. So that one's kind of on the back burner. But it's <laughs> coming. Coming, you know. So that's where I wanted to focus at. And so I started learning more about LPC work and getting to know other people in this in this field. And um, a lot of people that I was working with at that organization were also in school to be therapists. So we all kind of created our own little clique here. And so... I don't know. I mean, after that step, it just became taking the steps to become a therapist. And then 2019, I finally received my APC, which is the Associate Professional Counselor. And I was a, and a friend who I love dearly took a chance on me, I should say, someone who's part of my village and allowed me to work in her private practice. Cause it's not easy out here for associates. Like there are people coming out of school and I, 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 I try to advocate for this, but people are coming out of school making $12 an hour and you're a whole master's level student or, or a graduate. And it really irritates me that this, this role is taken so cavalier because it's like, we literally stop people from blowing up your buildings <laughs> we literally stop people from you know like if it was some people weren't coming to us they probably would be i don't know and it's uh, and i just feel like the role of a social worker or a therapist is just not respected enough in this world because the the work that we got to go through as a therapist like right now as an associate i have to do three years under someone else's license and i have to pay to be a part to meet with them right uh, every month in order to get accredited right to get accredited mm-hmm. 
and I'm paying for that right. while on top of paying all my bills and possibly making $12 an hour. How does that make sense? Hey guys, it's Ariel from the Work and Play Podcast. If you're getting any value from this channel, and I mean anything from the tutorials to the podcast to the random videos that you see on this channel, then I just ask that you do one thing. Please subscribe. Subscribe and share this to anyone that you think this resonates with and drop a comment below so I know what other things that you want to see next. Now let's get back to the episode. I think the system, both social workers and therapists, I think the system, like you said, doesn't necessarily value um, our work, but at the same time, my philosophy is actually, I'm more of a center strength-based person from a perspective of you have to demand your price. Mm-hmm. And so many times we think the system or the institution of such corporations or social work, or we we allow, it's kind of like a relationship. I believe you take what you allow. People do what you allow yeah, them, them to do. do. Mm-hmm. And because we are on the cusp of this like entrepreneurial bubble, I feel like more and more and more therapists can one, demand their price. And then two, we can do the work that we do and be sane and be well paid enough to save people from one, blowing up the building and then help these executives actually do their job as well. So in that regard, and I guess in that in that vein, what type of clients do you like to work with? What's their story and, and like how do you like to help them? I want to step back and then I'll come to that. Okay. So in relating to what you had said about becoming an entrepreneur, that's why I don't want to work for anybody anymore. I do want to work for myself because people are not being paid. But I'm speaking more from a, a standpoint from people who do want to have the heart to want to work for community-based programs and things like that. Pay these people. Mm-hmm. Pay those people what they what they're owed. Worth, Worth. Mm-hmm. that too. So that's on that. But um, as far as my client, I love my clients, man. They're so dope. <laughs> my clients are so dope. Like I every se- every time I have sessions with them, like, and I be telling them in the office, I'm like, man, you're dope. You are doing such great work. And these are people that are coming to me about, it could range from divorce, just like I said, relational trauma, uh, mother-daughter conflict, sexual assault, a lot of grief. A lot of things stem from grief and people don't realize that. I didn't even realize until I started this work how much grief is entangled in all of this. I didn't even know that there were different types of grief. Like I just thought nobody died in my life. Why, why would I be grieving? Mm-hmm. So you that's really cool work that you do there. Yeah, grief like I didn't know about subconscious grief. Like I remember and it, it was from a personal experience. I was waking up and I was feeling sad. And I'm like, why am I sad? Like everything is good. Why am I sad? Look at the date. I realized this is the day my grandfather passed away. And I didn't realize it till later in the day, but everybody kept talking to me during the day like, you okay? And I'm like, no. I don't know what's going on. I talked to my mom. I'm like, mom, is today the day that Papa died? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh. Like my spirit was just so sad. Yeah. And it was subconscious. I didn't know. I didn't, wasn't thinking about it. So subconscious grief is a thing on those days that things aren't feeling right. Think about that time of the, of the year. Yeah. Sometimes. Mm. So when you think about like your um, entrepreneurial journey, and I know like targeted issues can be a range, right? But as an entrepreneur, have you started to think about what socioeconomic bucket you would you work with? And if you're more familiar with people who are in a, a lower socioeconomic 
socioeconomic bucket or versus or are your clients both high and low socioeconomic bucket? Kind of both because I know what it's like not to have anything. I do offer a slot for pro bono, but it will be also I feel like people need to pay for what they value also. So like if you want to gift something to me as you as I work with you, that's fine. If you don't have anything to give, I'll work with you. Now, again, that's only one slot that I have. I have four slots for a sliding scale fee where if you can't afford my full amount, I got four slots that I can, if they're not filled, I can take you in and help you out that way. But on the other end of it, I'm more of a middle class or upper middle class. That's more of the range that I work with. Mm, thank you for breaking that down. Um, because so many, so especially in the social worker field, everybody feels like everybody should be on a sliding scale. Yeah, and no. it's like no, 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 no. no, no. The no. way that you just broke it down, where one pro bono for sliding scale, and the rest of my clientele would have to pay at the, you know, the the uh, full price. That is, I would say, the most balanced approach that I've heard so far. Mm, well, I mean, because I I didn't want to just jump in and be like, I charge this amount, I can't work with you because you can't pay it. Because mm -hmm. my therapist worked with me i'm like i ain't got i ain't got a job can't what what can i do and they work if he didn't work with me i'm by the way my therapist is a, a white male and love yeah. him to death we've been working together forever can we get into that sure so when it comes to choosing a therapist many times people choose like they're like they want to only be with a, a black woman if they're a black woman or a black male if they're a black male or if they have to compromise the opposite sex but within the same race mm -hmm. so can you talk a little bit more about the like choice of a therapist funny thing is some of my my friends the um person who i work under right now she actually referred me to him she went to school with him and she's like he'd be great so this was after everything had happened right after i had lost my job went through the dating violence and all that stuff and i walked into his office and i dumped it and i said now what like i just spilled it and he was like okay and he hit me with the well i'm a white male how do you feel about working with me? Like we tackled it right on immediately. immediately. And ever since then, I was like, I like you. I like you. I like him too. <laughs> I like him too. He calls me on my stuff. He does not play any games yeah. and I like it. Would you say, so there's two ways that I'm thinking about this as the client in search of a therapist. And I'm also thinking about it from like a white male perspective who is a therapist. I'll ask you two questions, but one of them, I'm going to do one at a time. Okay. So the first one is, <clears throat> Do you recommend the strategy of like dumping? So like for people who want to know who's a good fit, do you recommend, okay, just dump on your first session and see how they handle it? Or do you typically recommend people ask certain questions to figure out if the therapist is a good fit for them? I say it depends on the individual individual person. Mm -hmm. Like what's your personality and what can you handle? Can you handle constantly re, re bringing that up? Because I was like, I was desperate. And I needed somebody. And so me dumping on him, I just wanted, I did want to see how he handled it. And um, I think, like I said, it depends on the individual. If you can go and tell your story to multiple people and be okay with that, because you can be re-traumatizing yourself. So you have to be careful. But I do feel that you should kind of seek your therapist out because that's a person that's getting in your business. That's going to be your, like, my therapist is that dude. Like, <laughs> he's the one that knows everything that other people don't know so you, this is the person that you're going to be open and spilling your guts to so you definitely want to be able to feel like you trust them you relate to them you don't because sometimes i know people go to therapy they feel judged they feel unheard mm -hmm. they feel like somebody's trying to change them or trying to be their best friend or you know you're doing too much that's why you got to kind of fill them out mm. 
That's a good point. I think I think if a person is trying to evaluate how much to share in that first session, the one thing that you said was like, not the one thing, but one of the things that you said was like, it depends on your personality. I think also gauging your situation. Like if, it, if this is your only free session and you got to capitalize on it, I, it sounds like if you're not dumping it, at least give them like 50% of the time. Give problem. them the gut punch at least. <laughs> gut punch it. So they can affected. <laughs> um, and then the second part, the last part, which is like being aware of not re-traumatizing yourself, knowing how much of your story needs to be shared in order for someone to help you. Sounds like a level of self-awareness that you would just have to kind of work your way through as you find the right fit. But then being aware that people, you might feel judged. So looking out for someone, if they understand you, that kind of thing. That's a really great analysis. And I think anyone could take something from that and figure out whether they should be dumping on the first session and then wait for the information on the back mm-hmm. end or slowly feed somebody a part of this. A little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. It just depends. It really does depend. Because, I mean, I've had clients come in and they're not as open, but I have certain questions that I'm going to ask to get to some, to make sure some serious, like I'm always going to ask on my first session, are you having suicidal thoughts? Have you ever had suicidal thoughts? Do you self-harm? Finding out things like that so I can know how deep we are in here. Mm-hmm with that that what that goes to my second question which i am so loving the fact that you are in the in the same wavelength because my second question was for white therapists right and, and I, I know therapists in general should be asking the questions right like you said the question that you need to know to set the foundation for a white therapist who wants to help more in the community it sounds like they should take more of an approach that your therapist did um which is like well how do you feel about me being a white therapist but i'm wondering if you have like any um learning experience wisdom or technical wisdom that you would have for a white therapist who was like, I don't know how to help. I want to be more helpful to the black community. Should I be asking everybody? Like, how do you feel about it? Like, <laughs> is that how they need to be going about everything? <laughs> you know, because people have been hearing this interview like, oh, well, that needs to be my first question. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> I laugh because... <laughs> During everything that went down with the pandemic and so many different white people wanting to know how to help, it was just so much. Like, why is that not intuitive? Like, I don't want to teach you that. I know. But we kind of do. We kind of do. <laughs> That's why I laugh so hard. So I apologize. You to run with it and be like, okay, well. That'll be my number one question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my gosh. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So even during the pandemic, though, my therapist he would ask me like, "How do you feel about what's going on?" Like he was make sure that he was on top of, it, and I like that. He wasn't giving me the white sympathy, if that makes sense. It wasn't the oh no. I'm so sorry. It was more of like, so how do you feel? What's going on? Like, you wanted to know, genuinely know what's going on. It's like, be human. Don't be overly like, like over, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Overly sympathetic, empathetic. I don't know. But just be, I don't know how to, I can't do Mm. that. I can't do it. One of the words (laughs) that I'm thinking is maybe don't be prescriptive because my mindset went, someone's going to take that and literally put that on a form. Like, how do you feel about working with a white person? And I feel like that's prescriptive. But then maybe they would be sympathetic, I think overly sympathetic in any regard. 
race, uh, like anything overly sympathetic doesn't allow your client to work through their situation. I think that's where you're going with it. So yes. And it's off putting. Also, and I'm, I hate to bring it. Not even I don't hate to bring it. I love Iyanla Fix My Life. But when she talks uh-huh. about like, if, look, I know. Okay, okay. <laughs> this, this is good. I'm smothering. Because what she says, <laughs> when a mother is crying, so when a child is hurting, mother cries in front of him because the child is trying to share their whatever. And the mother starts to cry. It shuts the, the child down. And it could be an adult person, but from expressing themselves. So like you said, it does not receive well if you're sitting in front of your therapist and they hurt hurting more than you have the ability to show up and hurt i mean that's i think that's like some of the things they teach us in school like it's not about you don't be oversharing don't monitor your you get your own therapist so you're not projecting like it's you just working in the um organization i'll go back to that again it was very important for us to make sure that because when people are going through trauma it's easier to focus on everybody else but themselves and so they're looking for that out like as soon as you give them like you having a conversation and you're like, man, I, my car broke down. Your car broke down? What are you going to do about that? Like, <laughs> if it, it takes the attention off of them, it takes the work that needs to be done here and puts it over here so they can feel like they're doing you a favor. So it's more so like, uh, we, we're here to focus on you. That's that's good. That's Girl. real good. <laughs> oh, that's real good. I think about so many successful people who might be hurting inside and want to focus on everybody else around them. When- I was one of the people. <laughs> I, I mean, you learn because you like trying to help. Like somebody is, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Right. You speak from experience and you speak from education. So I think that's clear. So now that we're in 2021, you're helping clients and I love the pay schedule. You're handling entrepreneurship like a, like, a, you know, like I want to say a pro, but we are all in our own entrepreneurial uh, journey. Everything's a lesson. I'm a baby out here on Bambi legs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Bambi legs out here. <laughs> Hoping not to fall. <laughs> Skating across the ice. <laughs> we winging this thing. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you have that you're working on now that um, you like to bring to your clients and kind of help them through their, their situations now that we're in 2021? Oh my gosh. So I've purchased so many books. Well, three mainly. <laughs> that I'm reading for myself and for my clients. There is one called CBT for perfectionism because we don't, we deal, I mean, I deal with perfectionism so heavily. And then also I have one about um, parent daughter, I mean, not parent, da- mother daughter relationships. I'm reading that book because I have a lot of mother daughter issues happening, a lot of transference from that. And um, the other one is the inner child workbook. And that is like dealing with the stuff in your childhood and like how it's showing up now in your your current life. So it's a lot, like as I'm working with clients, it's like I bought these books for like maybe one particular client, but I'm like, you need it, you need it, you need it, I need it, we need it. (laughs) So it's been exciting on that part of the journey. I will be, also in 2021, I'm putting together an anxiety box. Um, It will be based off the five senses and I should have that ready to go probably in the next month or so for sale. So I'm excited about that to see how it works for people like how it helps with anxiety and things like that I have a program called you're a jewel where I'm talking about recreating who you want to be and when you're coming out of a relational traumatic relationship um so I mean I just want to offer my clients the 
opportunity to be there, stand boldly in their truth, build their self-confidence, and just be dope. Because they are. They're just so dope. <laughs> so by the time this episode launches, I know we're going to have this, this um, anxiety box as well as your program available. So we can definitely put a link in the um, in the description so you guys can cop it. We will definitely um, help yourselves and get these things to help yourself get, to, get yourself together. I'm curious, as you help other people boss up, what's your next level and what's your boss up going to look like? Right now, it's a lot of being in tune with me right now. So I'm, I'm a, it's me against me right now. And so my next level of boss up, honestly, I would like it to be moving to that next tax bracket and then also moving to that next level of the human me, like my perspective on things, how I handle things, a good control over emotions and just human. <laughs> being a better human is what I, my level of boss up next so for me. Love it. Love yeah. it. Yes, I, I. When it comes to our creativity, our love lives, our financial life, just as a holistic human, human, boss up. Yes. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much for joining me yes. on the couch. You have been literally a light to me, um, and I think I'm gonna take this energy for, throughout the rest of the day. Yes. Sure. Thank you. One of the things that I like to do on the show. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Um, one of the things I like to do on the the podcast is um, reach back because along our journey, we are we're gung-ho and, and shooting for the stars here but we never want to forget those who are on their way in their own situations and they need to get a, cur a, a word of courage or a word of wisdom to make their next step and move forward so if you could if you could reach back or think of someone or even the younger you who you'd like to share a word with to help encourage them to move forward or even explore other sides of themselves because that courage that you took for the insight that you took from you're like oh they're making impact over here i want to do this for myself and then being able to put yourself in an environment where you can learn to be a therapist that's courageous yeah. and so if you can think about you know someone along your journey who's just watching you thrive or hasn't even started to realize their full potential what would you like to tell them i think i would tell them what i kind of tell most people anyways like man offer yourself grace be gentle with yourself have some self-compassion and stand boldly in your truth because at the end of the day the world is already out out here beating us up and when I say the world I mean everything in it not just people from the in, the climate changes and everything everybody's already beating you up why do you got to be against you why you got to beat you up love yourself Lo self-love is probably the hardest love we ever have to I've from what I'm learning self-love is one of the hardest things to accomplish and so I think once you love yourself you're going to be able to definitely boldly walk in your truth and own your shit mm, mm. There you have it. That's amazing. So if you guys have tapped into anything that Miss Mo, Mo Knowledge has said today, I encourage you to reach out. And if there is someone who's listening to your story, they connect with you or they want to work with you, how can they do that? Um, They can go on my website, uh, www.moknowledge.com. It's spelled M-O-knowledge.com. <laughs> and you can sign up for a 15-minute consultation with me so we can see if we're a good fit. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for watching and for listening. Until next time, peace out. You guys go have a great day.